Hello, everybody. Welcome back into the Courtside Convo. It is Thursday, November 3rd. Um, we got myself, Liam Jackson, uh, to my left. We got A.J. Evans, Carter Fry, and Josh Gut. I'm so sorry, Gutbrod. And uh, um, we have a lot of drama to talk about here. Um, NBA has been just all over the place this last week, more, more, even more specifically today. Um, it usually is a lot of drama going on in the NBA every year, but it just seems like it's all piled into one uh, in one one week right now. So we're gonna just get right into it, and we'll get to basketball. Promise, we'll get most of this episode will be basketball, but we got to get go over some news real quick. Um, you guys are gonna be hearing this on Friday tomorrow, but as of recording, less than an hour ago, um, the Nets have suspended Kyrie Irving for at least five games without pay. For promoting anti-Semitic an anti-Semitic movie, his comments have been um, hurtful. Um, and I'll read the I'll just read what the Nets said real quick, and we can get we can get into that just about their whole team. But the Nets released a tape released a statement that said, over the last several days, we've made repeated attempts to work with Kyrie Irving to help him understand the harm and danger of his words and actions, which began with him publicizing a film containing deeply disturbing anti-Semitic hate. We believe that taking the path of education in this challenging situation would be the right one and thought that we had made progress with our joint commitment to eradicating hate and intolerance. We were dismayed today when given an opportunity in a media session that Kyrie refused to unequivocally say he has no anti-Semitic beliefs nor nor, nor acknowledge specific hateful material in the film. This was not the first time he had the opportunity, but failed. But this is not the first time he had the opportunity, but failed to clarify. Such failure to disavow anti-Semitism when given a clear opportunity to do so is deeply disturbing, is against the values of orga- organization, and constitutes conduct detrimental to the team. Accordingly, we are not. We are of the view that he is currently unfit to be associated with the Brooklyn Nets. We have decided that Kyrie will serve a suspension without pay until he satisfies a series of objective remedial measures that addresses the harmful impact of his conduct in the suspension period served is no less than five games. So no less than five games without pay. I have no idea how long this will be. He's been, the team is two and six right now. They still have KD. Ben Simmons coming back from injury hasn't been the greatest. They just fired Steve Nash. It looks like they're going to hire Ime Udoka from the Celtics. Well, well what do you guys have, think about just the Nets right now, where they are, and then Kyrie, and how distracting and how hurtful he's been to the team and the NBA as a whole. I mean, I definitely think it's going to be longer than a five-game suspension, because for it to be five games, it sounds like Kyrie has to let the organization mandate a list of things that he has to do, which Kyrie hates doing. He doesn't listen when people tell him to do these types of things. He will be stubborn and fight back with this type of stuff. And if they're holding those stipulations over him for him to come back in five games, I don't think he'll be back in five games. So I think this is going to get a lot worse for them because I don't think he'll be there in five games. I just don't think he's going to he's going to be re- re- uh, receptive enough to these mandates from the organization because we've never seen him be receptive to that type of thing, regardless whether it was Cleveland, Boston, wherever team he's on. He's never been that type of guy. No, he's definitely not the person, like you said, to go back on something that he said. You think about the COVID vaccine stuff. He was stuck on that. He didn't get vaccinated. He sat out. He, you know, was he, he was stuck. And it seems like here I, I don't see him doing an apology or at least one that seems sincere. 
today was the closest thing I think we're going to get to an I'm sorry, just that he kind of acknowledged it, but in no way did he seem like he, you know, felt bad about what he did. And, oh, sorry. Um, yeah, and I feel that, you know, more is needed from him if he wants to come back because the Nets, I think this was their last resort of, okay, you're really not listening to us. Okay, we're suspending you. And like you said, Josh, it's going to be a lot more than five games. I think what's also disturbing is that this behavior, this pattern of behavior that we've seen from Kyrie, this is this isn't even probably fully what we know. This is only stuff that we've seen at the forefront. But I'd also just like to say this is just incredibly disappointing to see because, you know, I don't know if you guys know, but Kyrie grew up in Jersey. He was a diehard Nets fan. He grew up watching Kidd and those Nets teams. And even before he came to Brooklyn, he had always flirted with the idea of coming back home to play for his team. And I guess in the midst of all this all this drama that you know surrounded the Nets over the last year or two, I, I've, I've thought about that a lot. And I've thought about Kyrie's younger self. I'm sure he dreamed of being the starting point guard for the Brooklyn Nets, like so many kids do dream of being, you know, the star player. Uh, for their hometown teams and to see his career and the Brooklyn Nets' chances of winning a championship pretty much go up in smoke all over issues off the court it, it's it's mind-boggling to me and like I said it's, it's really disappointing to see from a player that's as, as talented as he is and a, a guy that grew up loving the Nets and wanting to bring a championship to his hometown team yeah, just basketball-wise, too. I mean, this is a team, when they first made this move to get Katie and Kyrie, um, coming out of, it was a franchise that was in a hole that seemed deeper than any team could overcome in terms of they didn't have any draft picks after they, they traded everything to get um, that quote-unquote big three that didn't really do much. But uh, Sean Marks, I believe the GM's name there, um, did a, a great job of getting them back to a playoff team and then went all in with uh, to get KD and then with KD came Kyrie and then it came DeAndre Jordan. They made they wanted him to start over Jared Allen. They lost Jared Allen now as an all-star center. Kenny Atkinson got fired. They hired Steve Nash because that's what KD and Kyrie wanted. He's now gone. Um, they got they traded all their depth for James Harden and that honestly that team before Harden got hurt. Um, the team that lost to Milwaukee was probably good enough to win a championship, and they were once they were playing together, they were the best team in the league uh, when that lineup was playing together. Um, injuries happened. Um, Katie almost beat the Bucks by himself, and then then COVID comes. Vaccination. Kyrie is was vehemently opposed to it, and even sat out because he didn't want that vaccination. And now this is just another year and another thing that Kyrie is kind of just um, he just hindering his team again and um, it's just it's really sad to see because as a, just as a basketball fan I mean this was supposed to be people are saying that Brooklyn was like an unfair team like that offense was going to be like um, the offensive talent they had was almost something we've never seen in the NBA before so yeah I just don't know where they go from here and um, it just just a black mark on the on the NBA this year so far. I'd also just like to say, I, you know, this is not only 
disappointing on so many fronts for so many different people. But it, it, I also have just thought about Kevin Durant in this too. You know, this is a guy who has dealt with for the entirety of his career. You know, yeah, he's talented, but he can't win on his own. He can't win with his own team. Um, Kyrie was supposed to be the guy to help him get there. Um, and it does not look like that'll be happening anytime soon. And it's, it's, it's just, like I said, incredibly disappointing to see from this team. J.J. Redick also mentioned what you were talking about, Liam, the culture that was put in place, uh, Sean Marks' ability to sort of rebuild that team from the ground up after that big three failed. And he said something that I thought was interesting. He he said, Kyrie and, and KD have spent the last few years dismantling that culture that brought them there in the first place that they were so attracted to that was built with that young core. Yeah. Well, from one bad news story to a few more, um, we're not going to get too much into these news stories just because um, they're pretty new and we don't know all the all the details, but uh, it's worth mentioning. First, uh, Miles Bridges will serve no jail time for um, his domestic abuse case. Um, he will be put on three years probation, and as of right now, we don't know what that means for his basketball future, but he's not signed, um, and he has been convicted of that three years of probation. And Josh Primo has been um, he's been released and went through waivers, so he's also the 19-year-old. Uh, he was a lottery pick from by the Spurs a few years ago, two years ago only, and he was accused of um, flashing his himself uh, to his psychologist. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Nine team, time, team psychologist. Yeah. Team psychologist nine times. Um, so he is currently not on a on a team, and that's um, under investigation as well. So. Like we said, this whole week, just a lot of news coming out. And then one more quick thing of news um, that is more related to basketball. James Harden is going to be out for a month with a foot injury. Um, so the Sixers are going to be down there. Um, one of their, their biggest stars uh, could be Tyrese Maxey. It would be a good opportunity for him to step up. And he's been playing well, but um, he might have to be, play an even bigger role. All right, let's get into actual actual games and stuff now um we had last night i'd say maybe the game of the year so far in my opinion i could be forgetting one but uh the Cavs took down the celtics 114 113 in overtime um the Cavs are in second place in the eastern conference behind the undefeated bucks but uh darius garland's back after hurting his eye um jason tatum tied the game with a dunk at the end of the at the end of regulation sent it to overtime um, what do you guys think of the Cavs? What do you guys think of the Celtics? What do you guys think of a possible Cavs-Celtics playoff series? I definitely should have taken the Cavs to the conference finals or further when we were talking at the on the first episode. I took the Nets, which I'm definitely regretting. Uh, I do one funny thing. Last night, Donovan Mitchell passed Anthony Bennett on the Cavs' all-time scoring list. That's great. That's yeah, 218 to 217. <laughs> what did it so take him? Eight seven, games? Seven games. Seven games. Uh, that was Bennett in 52 games. Yep. So, so Didn't that's not score for until like his fourth or fifth game in the league. I, yeah, and then I, if I remember right, I don't even I don't think he even played until the middle of that season anyway because he was hurt. Yeah, coming in. So, but yeah, but that was uh, I had a friend actually send me that on Twitter, so I, I wanted I wanted to say that because that was definitely. But no, but I I really like the Cavs. I should have taken the. I thought the biggest thing for the Cavs with me 
I remember saying this on the first episode. I thought small forward was going to be a much bigger hole for them. Karis LeVert is playing fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not shooting very well. He's shooting you know, under under 40%. But he's shooting over 45% from three. He's averaging over six assists a game, which is crazy because I don't think anybody thought that LeVert would even be handling the ball enough to average almost seven assists a game when you have Garland and Mitchell there. But I've been really impressed with LeVert. I've been really impressed with Osmond scoring off the bench. They're, they've got more options at small forward than I thought. So if that if that's what they have at small forward, this is potentially a finals team. Shout out Kevin Love putting in some efficiency off the bench. Eleven. Po- I didn't realize he was putting up eleven point one points this year in only nineteen minutes. But you know, and he boxes out, gets a lot of boards too. That's been some he's always been strong with. And of course, Mitchell. I mean like 31 points a game. I don't know that anyone really expected this from him this year, but Cavs, I guess, knew what they were trading for, so it definitely looks like they're going to come out on top with you know that exchange with the Jazz. It's been great to see Karis LeVert you know, handling the playmaking duty so well. I, I've always felt like this could be a, a great role for him, being in a position where he's sort of like a point forward or just where he's tasked with more playmaking, just – Seeing the player he kind of was at Michigan, you know, I feel like some people out of coming out of school tried to label him as a, a tweener or something of sorts, but I just feel like he's a hooper. Like, he just makes good plays. He's really cerebral, and he just finds ways to put guys in a position to score and to score himself. And, you know, I don't know where, where – I think you can put him wherever, and he'll find a way to just do what he always does. But, I mean, this team is really, really deep. Like, there are – eight guys almost averaging in double figures right now. Um and, and this is that's all without Rubio too. Exactly. Who was playing out of out of his mind. He was with for them last year. Now we no idea if that's gonna be the Rubio they get back, but I mean if they get even sixty percent, seventy percent of that Rubio now that they have Mitchell there, I mean that's gonna be ridiculous. Yeah. He I think I think they're gonna get a lot from Rubio regardless, just because he's he's such a great playmaker and you know the the problem the question with Rubio is always, well, he, can he be a starter? Can he be a franchise guy? You're not asking him to do that. You're just asking him to play good minutes off the bench. I, I think Rubio will definitely be able to do that. But, yeah, they're going to be even more dangerous with him. Yeah, I've loved their style of play. It's just so different because of those two bigs. And we've seen recently NBA a push. Um, the Rockets really spearheaded it. Well, I guess D'Antoni in Phoenix at first spearheaded, um, began it. But the Rockets really push it to its extreme with D'Antoni and Daryl Morey, but this five out um, focusing on shooting and layups and uh, their shot selection is they're not. It's not like they're taking all mid ranges or bad twos, but um, the fact that they can play with two bigs on the interior and Mobley and, and Allen and still be efficient and then uh, good defensively is, is is a lot of fun to watch. And we see you look at Minnesota, who it's still really early in that experiment, but offensively. Cat and and Gobert have not been great. Um, the, their lineups have not been great with them on the floor. So um, it's kind of cool that a team that young, someone else, I don't know if they're copying them, but a team, they're another team is used, trying to use that same blueprint already. And the Cavs have just had so much success. And like you guys said, Donovan Mitchell and Karis LeVert have fit in um, pretty well. I think uh, bigger staff deserves a whole lot of credit for the coaching job he's done there. I don't think he gets enough um, because, that, like you said, I, I wouldn't. This is a t- like Donovan. Donovan Mitchell is a guy who's been. He hasn't broke through in the playoffs as like team success wise, but on a personal level, he's had some of the best series we've seen in in recent NBA history. So, I mean, that's a dude that can win in the playoffs, and I think that they will get 
that opportunity this year. And um, I don't know how far they'll go this year, but it's only up for Cleveland, in my opinion, for sure. And for Boston, I still, I still think that this is a team that fully healthy could be right back in the finals as well. And so that's not in. Uh, so Cleveland has beat them twice already this year, and it's not like Boston's had like a, a bad team this year. That's still a really good basketball team. Jason Tatum um, is just continue. I love watching Jason Tatum play. So I do too. Yeah, the East is going to be a lot of fun for for years to come for sure, and even this year right now. But I think what I've been at least most surprised about is how the top of the West is shaking up right now. And we'll, we'll go through team by team, uh, one through four in the West, because I think that all, all four of them have um, very interesting storylines, things to talk about. Uh, first in the West right now is the, is the Phoenix Suns, and I think um, on paper this isn't that surprising, but just based on everything that has happened, uh, in the off season, a lot of drama in the off season. Uh, it looks like it hasn't really carried over onto the court. Aiden's even hurt right now, and they're still. Um, they just beat the the Timberwolves last night. Um, what have you guys seen from the Suns? And, and do you think that we talked about their championship window before the season? But has the beginning of the season changed your opinions on the Suns um, compared to what you guys thought before going in? I f- I feel better about the Suns because I feel less confident in a lot of other teams. Good answer. Like I, I, th- I thought, I thought Denver was going to play better than they've been playing. Mm-hmm. I thought I wasn't as high on Minnesota as some people were, but I thought the Clippers would be playing better. I, I don't know what the Clippers are doing. I, I, I know we all thought they weren't going to take the regular season seriously, but I didn't think we thought they were going to take it. You know, this, this easy. And uh, I thought that the the Warriors would be a little bit. I know they're up to you know they're in the mix, but I thought they would kind of get off to a hotter start, even though they had some issues, but. I, I I think the Suns are one of those teams that because everybody else has so many questions, they're just going to be there because there's from a talent perspective, they don't have those questions, and they've already proven with the guys they have that they can get to the get to the the finals and, and you know make a push. So I I think that th- out of all of these teams, they're definitely the easiest lock to get a top two or three seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. and and I don't see that changing unless there's a major injury to you know Booker or CP3. Yeah, it seems like from a scoring standpoint, CP3 has taken a bit of a step back, but I mean, he's still dishing out assists, 11 a game right now. Um, Booker's still scoring at an absolute clip. He's always been just a sniper. It seems like he's keeping that going this year. I wouldn't rule him out from the MVP conversation as the season goes on if he's able to stay healthy. You know, he could he could get up there in points, and, you know, if the Suns are number one, you know, and other big guys, you know, are injured slash teams aren't doing so well as it looks for you know some MVP guys like Doncic right now I I think Booker might have a decent shot at winning that MVP I agree I I was a guy kind of feeling like I felt like Booker could have been in the race for the MVP last year you for know sure. what I mean when you got to, when it gets down to it I mean he was averaging 25 for the best team in the league and it's a pretty hard argument to it's hard it's hard to argue against that for sure yeah um I think, you know, a lot of times we get fixated on names and, you know, Book may not, you know, be one of the more high-profile guys in the league in that perspective. But, I mean, he's just a really good player. But I think Monty Williams has just done a great job with this team. Like, watching them, their their offense is just – it's very just cohesive to me. The ball is always moving. Everything is always flowing. You know, they obviously run a lot of sets, but 
to me, they run a very like free flowing offense where guys just have space to create. And I think that has obviously served them well in the regular season. Um, but yeah, in terms of the championship window, I didn't feel like it was closed. I felt like this would be the kind of year that would be the deciding factor in that. And I'm I'm kind of standing by that, but I think they definitely have a chance to make a deep, deep run in the postseason. Yeah, before we move on to the next team, I just want to mention Cam Johnson has been great as well. And I think that um, he's going to get paid, whether that's in Phoenix or somewhere else. Um, that dude's earned his money. And he was dra- when he was drafted, uh, they kind of got a lot of looks um, just based on um, where he was mocked to go. He went a little bit earlier, but he's proven to live up to that pick for sure. Um, and, yeah, that team is doesn't look like that championship window is closed just yet, so I may have been wrong on that one. Next, we got the Trailblazers in the second seed. I'm just going to let Josh – You we, we can go wherever you want to go with this because I know – I know I've become like the Portland guy. Cause well, you I got Portland – you got two – both the teams that you like are two at, – at, it's fair. I, I, did, I also the took them West. in the Western Conference Finals. I had yep. Simons as most improves. I, I had a lot of Portland love early on, for sure. It's looking I, pretty good right now. Well, and so with that, they should have won last night. If you guys saw the final two-minute report of that game, there mm-hmm. was three calls in a span of six seconds with a minute and 20 seconds left in that Memphis game that went against the Blazers in favor of the Grizzlies and what ended up being a five-point game. So they should have won last night. They, you know, they... They blew out Houston previously without Lillard and looked great. I've been really impressed by the fact that it seems like every night it's a different guy. I mean, Nurkic absolutely went off last night, hit three threes. You know, yeah, I saw know, him hitting threes. Was, was just draining threes all of a sudden. Not that he doesn't have that range, but he only shoots you know one one attempt a game for the rest of the season. All of a sudden he's three for three in the third quarter. You know, Simons has been great, You know, the 22 points, 37 from three. But it, they had Josh Hart have 20 in one of the games, and then all of a sudden he's scoring 10, you know, getting rebounds. Jeremy Grant has gone off certain games, Shaden Sharp. It, it, it's just a really deep team. And one of the things that I think benefits Portland is, especially when Nurkic comes off, you, there's no weakness on defense anymore because they can switch everything. Because Nurkic comes off, and it, when Eubanks goes in, you can abuse Eubanks a little bit on some switches. But if Wins, Winslow's in the game, they can switch everything because Grant and Winslow can switch onto guards, switch onto bigs. It doesn't really matter, and that's what I think helped them beat Phoenix because they're the only ones that beat Phoenix this year when Dame was healthy, which was a great game. You know, one thirteen, one eleven, but when they were full at full strength, they were able to beat Phoenix, which I think was really impressive. Probably the most impressive win they've had so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been impressed with their whole team, but I was not. I did not think that Shaden Sharp would step in and play rotation minutes that would be helpful rotation minutes, I guess. I thought the minutes he would get would be more for him kind of picking up the speed of the game, uh, the physicality of it, and maybe he would. He might not be helping the team win right now, but like he need, I thought he would just be gaining experience in those minutes. But he's been a pretty helpful player for them. His athleticism has shown. Um, um, his shooting has, has been impressive at times. So, yeah, that, that draft pick is looking better and better for sure. Um, what do you guys think about the Blazers? Well, for starters, I'd like to say, Josh, you and I had a lot of dialogue about Simons, but we did, we did, and I, I think, and I wasn't even sure at the time. You asked some good questions, and I said I don't know if he's you yeah. know with the McCollum stuff. I don't, I don't know who's better, but I think Simons, you know, is at least living up to his side of it. I, I think he is too, and you know, I think in the long run, I'm going to be wrong, and I, I'm glad I am because, you know, I. 
I've always felt like Simons had a lot of potential. I didn't know if things would come together this quickly, but it's been good to see so far. And obviously, you know, we're still seven games in. There will probably be some adversities, but I think I think he's more than ready to shoulder um, a load that I didn't anticipate him to be able to so far. But um, looking ahead of things, I really think Grant is going to be the X factor for them. You know, I think a lot of teams became accustomed to game planning against Dame and CJ, letting those guys go crazy and then sort of forcing everyone else to make the plays. And unfortunately, no one was really able to step up, but I think they will certainly give teams some trouble in the postseason because you'll not only be defending two dynamic guards, but you'll also have to game plan against Jeremy Grant, who, you know, as Liam and I know, is a, a really good player. So, and I also think Grant's game is really tailored for the postseason. I mean, he's he's tough, he's hard-nosed. You people call him a three and D guy, but I mean he's he's a lot more versatile and dynamic than that. So uh, I, I think they have a great roster, and I really like what Nurkic is doing as well. And yeah, I I think they're gonna make some noise this season. I think. Oh my bad. No, you're, no, you're good. I think Grant too. The the focus they have to put on Grant opens up a lot of offensive rebounding opportunities for a guy like Josh Hart, who's yeah. played really well for Portland. Where you you you've got a double team Dame. Or Simons, if they're cooking, now you got to key on Grant. You know you can't leave Nurkic by himself because he'll eat you alive on the boards. Josh Hart is just crashing all day, making hustles because you just don't have the bodies to keep track of all these guys. Yeah, and I just I didn't think Lillard was going to be back to this kind of form. I mean, he's already had two forty-point games, one one in that Suns game to put the Blazers over the top team in the West and. Yeah, I think especially if Lillard's playing like he's playing and can do that in the playoffs like he usually does, the Blazers have a decent shot at getting back to the Western Conference Finals. And I thought their window with Dame was out. I thought he was going to leave and they were going to have to start something new or they were going to ride it out and they probably weren't going to make the playoffs. But, man, Simons is playing out of his mind. They made some moves. uh, Jeremy Grant is – you know, I, I didn't really see him fitting in anywhere, you know, but once he's here, I'm definitely confident that he'll, you know, play well and be a decent piece for them if they make the playoffs and make a run. And Chauncey Billups, too, I wasn't sold on his coaching job last year, but no complaints this year so far. I mean, they've been, they've overperformed. Um, speaking of overperforming, number three team in the, in the West, I'm sure we all saw this coming, the Utah Jazz. Um, and it, they're they're different because they're not doing it with a star player on their team. There, it seems like every night um, they got everyone everyone from one through eight or nine guys over there playing are just are playing their role and they're and they're they're playing well. And Larry Markinen has kind of stepped up a little bit. Um, he's been playing he's been playing great this year, averaging twenty two nine and three, been pretty efficient. He's also seven feet tall. He's just a a load to handle down there and. Um, I, I think that <laughs> there's a picture on Twitter going out around of Danny Ainge giving uh, just look looking at, at that bench uh, angrily and it was just a snapshot so I'm sure that um, I'm we, we can't take too much from it but talking about how they traded everyone so they could get Vic and now they're they're sitting at six and three I apologize I don't know the exact record but they're up there so I think that we could see semi soon some trades uh involving Utah because I don't think that this is a team that is built for the playoffs at all I don't if they ride this team out they might make like a play in at best 
but that will probably be detrimental to them in the long run. But um, what are your guys' opinions on that? Do you think they should ride with this, or how do, how do you see Utah season working out? Uh, yeah, if they were trying to tank this year, they did an absolutely terrible job because there's just enough talent on this team to yeah, make yeah. a plan or get middle of the road, but not anything past that. And I just want to say I'm the proud owner of a Lowry Markkinen jersey, so <laughs> and I, I feel like I am one of his biggest fans because yep. a lot of Bulls fans uh, kind of went out on him after a couple seasons, including most of my friends and family. So to all those people out there who went out on Lowry Markkinen early, He's playing well. Don't, he, don't lose hope yet. Didn't he break like Bulls records for fastest, like 103 pointers or something like that? I, I think it was like an NBA record. Like was it? it was like I remember he was fastest something. to a certain amount of threes. Like I think he beat out Dame or something. Okay, it, it was no, it was pretty wild. Yeah, I'm a I'm an honorary fan of Laurie Markkinen because he's on my fantasy team. Nice, and, and he's been he's been uh, providing a spark in that utility spot on, on my starting lineup. But yeah, that is I mean he he had a lot of hype coming out of college and he was a pro like he seemed like he was fitting the mold of today's nba being that that stretch big and now he's proving it he's also been very strong on the glass um yeah I've, i haven't been able to stay up and watch all the utah games but i try to watch all the condensed games and um you don't really usually see that many highlights of rebounds but larry's you, you do notice larry on the glass uh, in those condensed games for sure yeah he was my favorite player at arizona and when the bulls mm-hmm. drafted him i was so happy and then <laughs> We traded him, and now he's, of course, I'm glad playing you kept the best season though. of his career. Oh, it's the only Bulls jersey that fits me right now, so oh, I wear great. it all the time. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I think Will Hardy has done a great job. i just like to start with that. I mean, this is his first head coaching job, and he's stepped in, and, and I think he's done all you could ask for. Um, but in terms of what you were asking, Liam, I would expect more moves from this team, at least coming up, just because I think – what we've seen most recently kind of indicates that. You know, they have a handful of guys who I'm sure they're eyeing to be a part of their next core to come up. Um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Taylor Horton-Tucker, Jared Vanderbilt, Walker Kessler. You know, young guys who may not jump off the page, but who definitely have a lot of talent, a lot of potential. And I think Ainge, Danny Ainge knows what it takes to develop a good group of guys I mean we've seen them do it time and time again so I would expect more moves I'd expect them to get younger um but I mean so far they've they've gotten off to a great start it's sort of a win-win scenario I think you know you either rebuild from the ground up and and make the most of it with the good people you have in your front office or you win some games Mm -hmm. so yeah I think and and Carter, you, I'm sure you'll have some thoughts on this. Being a you know a Bulls fan, I wonder is this the best fit around Markinen that has ever you know been presented him? Because in Cleveland he was playing small forward a lot of nights, which like worked fine, but that's definitely not his positional fit. I don't know as much. I didn't watch as much of those Bulls teams, but I mean, what do you think about? That? Is this the best fit around him he's had? Because he's playing out of his mind. I mean, if if Simons isn't the most improved, it's probably Markinen. I was going to say, when he has guys that run around and get him the ball and he's playing kind of a big man position, he definitely has better chances at scoring because he's good in the spot up and in the post. And when he was with when he was at the Bulls, there was no focus with who they wanted the offense to go through. I, I mean, it was changing every year, and he was injured and came in, you know, like a month into the season, I think his second year, and didn't do as well as his rookie year where he, he had a decent rookie year. But then when he went to Cleveland and playing small forward, he's way too slow to be guarding guys yeah, yeah. at the three. 
So with him, you have to give him the four or five spot. And even the five, it's a little, you know, he's a little thin. So guarding those big guys down low can be a little tough. When he's at the four, I think that's his most productive position. For sure. And I, I really think the other thing, too, is I think a lot of that going on what you were saying there, the biggest change with marketing is, aside from that, is Mike Conley. Because the, sure. the Bulls did not, neither, and the Cavs had, you know, Garland, but the Bulls, I don't think, had a facilitator of that form to Chris really Dunn. unlock Mark. That's a good answer. To really unlock Mark and in, uh, like this. I don't, I, I agree with all of you guys when you say the, the trade stuff. I think this is going to be a really fun trade deadline team mm-hmm. because they're going to have guys, like, they're, I'm assuming they're going to keep Mark in, but like Jordan Clarkson is a guy that like a ton of teams will have interest in, Sexton, a bunch of teams will have interest in. You know, maybe they keep one of those guys. I have a hard time believing they want to keep both. The Cavs didn't want to keep both. They gave both of them to Utah. But I I don't think this is, you know, a team that will be around. But it's been fun for sure. I mean, we've talked about them on the pod almost every episode. I mm-hmm. mean, they've had some fun moments. I think I'll probably take away the – I already mentioned it once, but the Colin Sexton staring down Jokic thing, I'll, that's one of the highlights of the year to me. I mean, that was funny. Uh, I know Jokic didn't take Kylie to it, as we saw, but I thought that was really funny. So I think that's, it's a good league pass team. I think that's, that's the best good, way to yeah. put it. That's true. They're a good league pass team. They're fun, but I don't think they're going to stick around. And if they happen to be like on the national schedule just because they're playing a team that's always on a national schedule, it'll be you, you can expect at least a hard-fought game, um, and it's not just a pushover. Like you would think if you were looking at the schedule before the season, seeing like, like the uh, the Suns Jazz or something, just think that could be a pushover. But now now they're playing hard, and it could be um, those could be competitive games. The fourth team in the West, and uh, unfortunately for them, their best player, um, the Spurs are fourth in uh, in the West. And Keldon Johnson had been playing just great, kind of um, just seems to be getting better and better every year. He's hurt right now, um, which is one of the only reasons I was tuning in to watch. Uh, the Spurs play but also uh, another just little news thing is that Jakob Pertl has been the name's been floated around um, that they are willing to trade Jakob Pertl so um, I personally don't have much on the Spurs I think that similar to the Jazz but just to a lesser degree it's just kind of a a team that that has some players but they do have uh, in my opinion the best player on either team I don't know if that's a hot take or not but Kelton Johnson I think would be the best player on the Jazz too so I, I like I like his future and I love his game. Um, he, before he got hurt, he's averaging twenty four five and four. Um, he was on the U.S. team, uh, U.S. Olympic team. So I think that um, his career is headed in in the right direction. I don't know if the Spurs are headed in the right direction though. Does he ask for a trade at some point this year or soon? Because if that stuff with that org, I, I know we're not we, the facts aren't out and all that, but and I'm not trying to get into that, but. If things go as south as they could with the Spurs, is that a guy that wants out? Because he's probably the only one on that team that could demand that. Potentially. I think that I think that I know like we were talking before the pod about all the possible ramifications of everything going on in the NBA and how it could affect the Spurs, but at the end of the day, as far as we know right now, that's uh, the Spurs are one of the they have one of the best track records in the NBA in terms of develop, finding and developing talent. And if you pair Keldon Johnson with a top two pick potentially or a top five pick this year, I think that that could entice him to stay. Um, but I also, if things go south, um, 
I don't think I'd be surprised. I think that he would be one of the bigger names on the trade market and um, kind of a really fun trade piece because he isn't that – he isn't like a KD requesting a trade, but he is like a sub-all-star level player. If he has a good year, could maybe crack an all-star team. And if he gets better, I don't know, maybe he could be a perennial all-star. You never know. But he is that type of player that could be like the second or third best player on a championship team. I, I believe that. So, um, yeah, I think on the trade market he could warrant a lot of interest for sure. I'm not sure if that happens, but I no, don't. no, and I, I mean, we don't know anything about that. I was just curious, just because I, I look at that team, and the only guy that I think that would even apply to is Johnson. So you know, if mm-hmm. if anybody would, you know, in the potential turmoil of coming forward, you know, would want out, I think it'd be him. I was just curious as to what you guys thought. Yeah, I, I think in a few years, um, just looking down the road, it could end up being a situation like a Dejounte Murray situation. He's he's 23 now. We might look up in two years, the Spurs might still be deep into this rebuild, and his age, his prime, just may not fit their timeline anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But for now, I think he's he's their franchise guy. Like you said, there, there's a lot to come out of the Spurs right now, but I think he certainly would be a name that would that teams would really be enticed, you know, to trade for right now. Just in any 23-year-old that's averaging 24 a game yeah. on any roster is is going to be of value. But I think I'm really interested to see how Trey Jones progresses this year. You know, I've I've really been big on him, and I've always been big on Tyus Jones too, as who has evolved into you know one of the the best, if not the best, backup point guard in basketball. But you know, Trey Jones is obviously his younger brother, but he's you know just a really tenacious guard who would have likely been a lottery pick if his jumper had been together coming out of Duke, and. I think it's slowly but surely starting to come together, but I'm I'm just going to be really interested to see his trajectory, not only this season, but in the years to come, because I think he has the potential to be a, a big-time floor general. Yeah, I like Trey Jones, um, and I also am a fan of, of Vassell and Sohan, too. So I think they have like good complementary pieces. I think they need that one superstar, though. Yeah, and I, I when I look at this team, I think this is the team that should be going for Vic. If mm-hmm. anybody, and I know they were projected, I think by Vegas to have the lowest win total this year, and I know they're kind of middle of the pack. I think currently they're in the playoffs in the span of things. What are they? The they're the four seed right now. They're the four seed. Yeah, yeah I, I I don't think they're making the playoffs this year when it's all said and done. But yeah, they I think they should make some moves. They should be a team to make some moves and kind of tank for Vic because they're a long ways away from being a contender or being a team that you know is you know, going for a title. So I, I think they should speed up that process and go for the prospect that's coming out of France later this year. Yeah. And also I've, I I forgot who what podcast I was listening to that said this, but they were talking about how the, if if Vic ends up in San Antonio, they should bring back Boris Dio as like a player development guy because the one thing that Vic if you can say the one thing he doesn't have is is his playmaking isn't the greatest, which I feel really weird like trying to nitpick him because I I don't that's about the only thing that he can't do but another Frenchman a guy who played in the post and was just a great playmaker and a winner um, Boris Diaw I think if you could find a way to get him um, get him get get Boris to get get Vic under his wing in San Antonio that would be pretty scary for the rest of the NBA for sure anywhere Vic goes is going to be scary but I think I do agree that San Antonio would be a fun spot for him if um, they could pair him with Keldon and Sell and Sohan, so and Trey Jones, so it would be interesting for sure. I kind of worry with the Spurs that they almost do what 
Portland got accused of doing for a long time and like just getting stuck in that like that eight to ten seed range because they never they never actually commit to a tank and they they're such they're so good with player development and the front office stuff that they're never gonna be bad enough to get like a player like Vic without actively trying to tank, which they're never gonna do because they're the Spurs. And so that's my only thing with the Spurs is I wonder because that like those DeJounte Murray teams were like we were like this is the year, this is the year, they're building, they're built they were never building anything because they didn't really accomplish that much. Those are fine teams, but I kind of worry if the the current team is gonna end up the same way where they miss out on that franchise changing guy because, you know, they're fighting so hard to you know, do what, be the eleven seed, the ten seed? But but they're never gonna tank. That's just not I don't see them tanking, I should That's say. That's a good point. And also because <laughs> I could see them tanking when Pop is gone. I don't think that Pop came back to tank. For it's sure. not in a, it's not in his blood it's not in his blood. Yeah. Like he's yeah. not gonna do it. I yeah. think he's determined to build at least one more solid core before he before he retires. That's For sure. That's always been my thing. I, I feel like he just wants to get one more good group before he leaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the top of the West, I would be shocked if this is the top of the West once the playoffs come, but for those teams, for those fan bases, it's been I'm sure it's been fun for them to to watch a, a winning a winning team night in night out. Um we got time, so we we I took this off the dock, but I'll just I kind of want to talk about it really quickly and obviously this won't hold throughout the rest of the year, but as of right now there are nine players in the NBA averaging 30 or more points per night. Uh last year Joel Embiid was the only player to Average thirty or more night, and it was just uh, it was thirty point six. But right now, Luka Doncic is there's nine of them, so I don't want to just to- solely focus on Luka. But I feel like we haven't talked about Luka yet, and he's having one of the craziest seasons, starts of the seasons we've seen. Thirty six point one points a game, nine assists, nine rebounds. I mean, he broke the record for um, most. 30-point games to start a season, and he did it by halftime against Orlando last week. Um, just, what do you guys think there's any reason there's nine people scoring 30 points a night right now, or do you think it could just be small sample size, or what, you got any thoughts on that? Well, one, I think the take foul has probably played, mm-hmm. a, the or them taking it out has played a significant factor into it. When you look at the guys doing it, there's Luka, Giannis, KD, Shea, Ja, Donovan, Dame. Guys, a handful of guys who are great athletes, guys who really thrive and transition. So, you know, there are there are a lot of points to get out in transition. Um, but I think, honestly, though, simple as it sounds, I think it's just a testament to the talent around the league. You know, this is, I think, sort of a new wave of guys coming in, the next wave of stars that will be around for – years to come but yeah I mean a lot of teams are just I think building really well around their stars and there's also just some really high level basketball being played on all fronts you know a lot of teams are really just I think employing systems that allow guys to be creative but also that are structured and so that's really been great to see yeah I mean I'm always all for our big stars scoring more points I mean you look at Steph Curry, he's, what, ninth on the list, and he's still at 30-plus. So, And you, you look at all those guys, there's no real flukes or guys that I wouldn't think to be up there besides maybe Shea, but, you know, he's you know he's balling out. That's You know, it's always good to see a new name up there. 
But yeah, I, I think all those guys have the potential to win an MVP this year, but Luca especially, th- this is the year I think that he really takes that step and stays. I think he could do a 30 point triple double this year. Mm-hmm. I, I think he could pull a Westbrook and have that stat line. Will he, you know, pull his team together and put the Mavs in the playoffs? I don't know, but they they have solid talent. I, I think an MVP is in the conversation for him. Yeah, I mean, with the, the with these numbers, it's just he's got to be the favorite right now, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, with and even as long as their team is in the play, and if he's putting up numbers like this, I feel like you he, he's got to get it. And I feel like I said before the season, I'm just gonna keep picking Luca as my preseason MVP until he gets one because I'm just sure he'll get one eventually. And he's the start this start of the season, um, just at a at a player level for him. I know the team hasn't performed as, as, as good as they might have hoped, but I, you couldn't have asked for a better start for Luka. Yeah, I I think Luka's been playing great. I think a lot of this stuff, too, with the higher scoring has come from a lot of the teams that are having these guys do it. The, the teams are structured in a way where those guys almost have to do that. Like, like some of them aren't. Like Portland with Dame, they have other options. But, like, right now, there's not a ton of other options in Brooklyn. There's not a ton of other options in, you know, other some of the other places. Like with SGA, that team is not, mm-hmm, you yeah. know, they do not have a lot of scoring options. Even the team like Memphis, like they have options. They do, but they don't have another option that's nearly as good as Ja. And that whole offense runs through them. A lot of the guys that are scoring 30-plus other than Tatum, Durant, and Giannis are all well, Luca is not really like a guard guard. He's kind of a fringe, but he's a primary ball handler. And all of the other ones, Steph, Dame, they're all primary ball handlers. And I just think that when when you have guys like that where the, the whole offense runs through them, they're able to be in positions to score at the level that they're doing. Because, like, a guy like Giannis, I almost think that's the most impressive because Giannis doesn't start with, you know, he, he you have to feed him the ball. You have to feed him the ball. You, you don't have to run sets for him or anything because he can get offensive rebounds. He can crash and transition, stuff like that. But, like, Giannis at being second in scoring is almost as impressive as Luka being first because Giannis is one of those players that, you know, he's not bringing the ball up every time. He's not a great free throw shooter or anything like that. Like, it, you know, he's just dominating physically. Like when Shaq, you know, it's like when you would look at Tracy McGrady going for 30 a game and then Shaq. It's just different styles. But I, I also think that this is – this might be a hot take, I don't know, but I do think that this is probably, especially in terms of depth, this is the most talented the NBA has ever been. I agree with that 100%. But that's just I me. I think that plays a big part in it too because, you know, when the entire rosters are better, the guys scoring 30 are getting better passes, getting better shots. You know, it, it just elevates everything. So, and I, yeah. The this basketball's turning, not totally, I don't want to, I, 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 sometimes I hesitate to say this because, it kind of takes away of the sport, but it's turning into like a math equation and with analytics and everything, and everyone's getting better at that, finding where the spots are, how you need to get your best players to those spots and get those shots up, and how many of those shots you need to get a game. And as that kind of, as that kind of advances, um, it's, I think the NBA has, at this moment in time, the best players it's ever had, putting them in the best spots they've ever been in. And I think that's, a reason why we see kind of a scoring um, explosion from from these guys, and I honestly think that this has been the best stretch of regular season basketball to start a season since before the pandemic, at least that I can remember. Because 
it seems like, and, and this could just be me being happy that basketball's back, but it seems like teams are playing hard. Um, good basketball's being played. There's defense. There's good games down to the wire. And obviously you're going to see clips here and there from certain players taking plays off. But as a whole, I feel like um, it's about as good as regular season basketball has been in a long time. So it's been it's been nice to see for sure. Um, we're going to finish up here because we're going to finish up with a little Pistons-Bulls talk because obviously we got some Pistons and Bulls fans here. Um, and since the last time we talked, I don't remember what the narrative around Cade was. Were we, were we happy about Cade or was he uh, – was he still struggling? He was still struggling a bit. Well, he's not really struggling anymore. So, yeah. um he had up until yesterday's game against Milwaukee, the second game in Milwaukee, um he was putting up all-star level numbers, all NBA level play all NBA player numbers for a stretch of 4 or 5 games. Once he realized or once he um once he just kind of found his spot at the elbow and um, kind of stopped driving as much and would find the spot in the mid-range and his jump shot doesn't look broken anymore. He looks a lot more confident. That opened opened up his playmaking. Um, he's able to stay in games more and I just think that um, I'll move it to you in a second but this is also something that Carter can comment on too. I, know, I don't know if you read this but James, did you read uh, James Edwards from The Athletic wrote about how he compared Cade's game right now to 30-year-old DeMar DeRozan, mm-hmm. just the way that he's getting to that mid-range. And I also one more stat about the mid-range just because I've been – I thought that was just a, a very good um, comparison. And then just for for reference, from the start of um, – this was before yesterday's game, so I, it probably – he didn't play that great yesterday. But since the 2022 All-Star break, Cade and CP3 have taken exactly 134 mid-range jump shots, and they both made 64. And people talk about CP as one of the greatest mid-range jumpers, mid-range jump shooters of all time, really. So the fact that Cade is is shooting nearly 50% from the mid-range since that time um, as a 21-year-old, that's really, um, like we talked about yesterday, the fact that I think his game is just going to age very well because he doesn't rely on just raw athleticism. He's a very smart player. And that's just my spiel on Cade, and the team isn't going anywhere, although they did beat the Warriors at home, and I was in attendance for That was a really fun game. Um, so moments like that through the season where they can kind of put together games maybe they shouldn't win and their young guys play well, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. I don't expect this team to come close to a play-in. I don't think that their their depth is anywhere near good enough to be a play-in team this year at all, but that is my piston spiel. I had to get it off. It's this is probably the longest courtside combo I've gone without talk, without mentioning the Pistons. So I'll let AJ talk for a second here. Yeah, I kind of just want to talk about two things with the Pistons. First, you talked a lot about Cade. Um, you know, I remember reading an article. It wasn't by James. It was somebody on the Athletic though who said at the beginning of the year that they had doubts or concerns about Cade being a franchise guy for our championship caliber team, like the number one option. And it's too early to tell, but I, I, I really do believe this untrue. I think I think Cade is going to be our guy when we're a playoff contending team. And, you know, I think if we are fortunate enough to get to the level of being, you know, an Eastern Conference Finals team, I think Cade will still be our guy. I, I just, 
like you said, I think his game is going to continue to grow. And I mean, even as he gets older and if his athleticism starts to wane, I, I think he'll still be a phenomenal player. Um, but yeah, you touched on most of the things about Kate. He's obviously killing it right now and he'll continue to. And if he keeps it up, I think he'll get some all-star noise. But I think I think he will too. Yeah. Um, if not this year, I think he'll definitely be a favor going into next year. Mm-hmm. But uh, the second thing is just, Speaking about the Pistons as a whole, you know, there's been I this really big mood elevator, you know, with the Pistons, especially on social media. And I just, you know, I just think it's important that we don't live and die by every loss at this point. I mean, it's an 82-game season, and this is a really young team. And there are going to be weeks, there are going to be some encouraging weeks, like this week we've had, you know, with the Warriors and the Bucks, and where we can physically and visibly see the process being made. Um, the progress being made with these guys. But there are also going to be some weeks where guys just don't have it. You know, they might be tired or sluggish or, you know, making sloppy errors or things like that, all the things that come with having a young team. But I think it's just really important to remember that the Pistons are building from the ground up, and I believe that they're doing it the right way. I know that's hard for a lot of Detroit sports fans to Mm -hmm. hear time and time again. I agree with you. But – this is certainly a team that that's making progress, and we're not there yet. We might not be there at the end of this season. We might not even be there next season, but, you know, the light at the tunnel is definitely there, and I think we just need to be a little bit more patient with these young guys. Yeah, one more thing before I ask you guys if you have any comments. Uh, just Bogdanovich signed two years, just less than 40 mil. And I think that, honestly, I, I like that. Uh, for two more years, Cade's going to have someone that really stretches the defense, and he's been – one of, if not the best, three-pointer in the league this year. So I think that he's earned that, and I am I was happy with the deal. So, Yeah, I, I love the deal, honestly. I think, you know, one, he obviously brings a lot to the court, but off the floor, I, I think he's just a great vet. And mm-hmm. I was talking about that, I think, in the, in the last episode we had. I, I think the Pistons need some more vets. And, you know, we were talking about using him as a trade asset. I think securing him and locking him down and, and keeping him in that locker room – during this period is could be crucial for yeah, them. So I agree. It's not something the Pistons haven't had a I guess you count Blake Griffin, but they haven't had a vet brought in just to be a vet, I feel like. Yeah. In this stretch. Blake they brought in to make the eight seed and get swept. Right. And Blake I I feel like Blake gets too much hate, but we don't gotta get, go into that because he did put his yeah. his body on the line just uh to drag that Pistons team to the playoffs. But um I'll open up to you guys. Do you guys have any Pistons thoughts. If not, we're gonna, we're gonna go right into Carter with the Bulls. I, I just have a question. What is up with Killian Hayes this year? Um, in my opinion, I just think that I at, right now I don't think he's an NBA player, which is sad because I was a big Killian fan, and I'm not totally giving up hope. He's only 21 years old, but I mean, he's made Isaiah Stewart's made more threes than. Killing Hayes has made baskets this year, so and That's a tough stat. Yeah, AJ, you got any insight on Killian? You know, I've been I've been a long time Killian guy, and you know he's still twenty one. Unfortunately, the the leash right now is incredibly short with young guys. We don't. The league has gotten younger, and we have given guys less time to figure it out. I think that's that is just the absolute truth, and the league is going to continue to get younger. 
Um, simply put, I think guys just sometimes need time to figure shit out, you know, and he's he's 21. For some guys, it doesn't come together until they're 23, 24. I mean, Chauncey Billups bounced around for about five years, five years before he found some stability in Minnesota. And then, you know, after another two or three years, he became the Pistons franchise point guard. And that's what he's remembered for. Like it, it so it, it took him most of his 20s to figure things out. We don't give guys that kind of time anymore, and it's really unfortunate. I don't know what kind of player Killian could be with that time. Obviously, there have been glimpses of potential, but as of right now, it's 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 hard to defend him, and, I mean, it's hard to justify keeping him around just because, like, that's the narrative around the league now. If a guy doesn't perform within a year or two, whether he's a lottery pick or not, teams have moved on, and it's really sad to see, honestly. I think the one thing that I really – like about the the Pistons right now is that <clears throat> unlike some other teams in their position that are towards the bottom of the standings, I think the Pistons already have the long term starting five, you know, in place. And the problem with the Pistons is they're so fresh into this rebuild process on the current iteration that they have almost no depth. I mean, there's I'm not saying there's no talent on that bench. I just don't think there's there's a, not much. Yeah, there's, there's not much. much. And they're losing games, you know, they're not losing games when they're, you know, they're losing, you know, a lot of, you know, time on the court when their their starters are in. I mean, their starters mm-hmm. are playing well, starters are competitive, starters have kept them in games, won them some games. I mean, they beat Golden State, as you said, you know, that was very impressive. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I just think that they're one of those teams, I think they're ahead of, they're definitely ahead of where their record says they are, like in the in the grand scheme of things. They're definitely better off than their record says but the one thing that I look at with them is I wonder what they do at the four spot because I think that Bogdanovich can't really play the four really because he's not really a rebounder anymore and you know stuff like that he's going to get pounded in the post I think as you guys have said Duran probably takes that long-term five spot so Absolutely. is it is it Stewart? Is it you know City Bay? You know, do you trade Victor those? Victor Wembanyama? <laughs> Maybe. Do you trade those guys? You know, to get the Victor pick? Like if the Pistons have the fourth pick, or like I'm not that somebody would give up that pick. I don't know. But do you try? I just look at that. I think that's the only. And I'm not saying that they, they have no options. I mean, they could be Stewart. I don't know. I think he has to shoot a little bit better to to move down there. But I I I'm interested to see what they do with the four. But other than that, I think they've got a really good core. I like Ivy a lot. And if Cade's going to be like this for mid-range, I mean, that's what separates stars from superstars mm. yeah. is mid-range scoring. <laughs> I mean, that's playoff series or one, yep. you know, Absolutely. by having killers in the mid-range. I mean, Kawhi Leonard is a perfect example of that. You yeah, know? for sure. And I, That's why it, I love his game, the mid-range, yeah. and, and his, his willingness to defend, too, is another underrated thing. So that's those are, like, two playoff attributes I really like from Cade. Two yeah. playoff two attributes that translate to the play as well. And I, well, and I think that type of demeanor will rub off on a guy like Ivy too, mm-hmm. who not I'm saying Ivy needs that, but like I'm just the culture of the team. Like if that's your stud, the Cade, that's going to operate like that, give his all on defense, that's going to, I mean, just, that's a defensive coach too. Yep. So I, I think the culture is good. I just, I'm interested at that four spot because I think there's options there, but I wonder what they do. I think, might be t- it's definitely too early to tell, but I think Bagley could be the answer. I do. I think it's interesting. It's another guy that you you know will be back is worth the, yeah. is worth taking a look at, yeah, a serious look at for sure. Which I, mean, I would say the same for Stewart or Bay or any of those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and you know when when Bagley's healthy, I mean he's 
he's great, but that's the thing. He hasn't been healthy for most of his young career. Like, yeah. he just hasn't. And so, once again, I hope they're, they give him a bit of a longer leash. I hope he gets some time to figure things out and understand, you know, sort of how the offense works and everything. But, I mean, he was a really nice addition for us last year. He was a great lob target. He's really versatile. He can play inside and out. So, yeah, I, I hope they give him a little more time, but I, I think he could be the long-term answer. And he's still really young. He's 23. Yeah, yeah. Mm. people forget that too. And they're, they're going to have they're gonna have cap space too. Yeah, a lot. They're going to have a lot of cap space. And that's I, that's the thing that helps too because if you have Cade playing really well making an all-star push, Bogdanovich there, you know, vets are going to want to go there. You're going to get like a – not Tobias Harris, he's under contract, but like that type of fringe all-star guy that's like, oh, I could go be the third or fourth wheel here and, you know, make 20 mil and, you know, maybe push for a four or five seed. And then by the time Cade's elite, like really elite, then you're pushing for a one or two seed with the same group of guys. I think that's that's the path and they're, you know, they've got four of the five pieces they need to do it. And and the coach, like I already said, like they've got a very good coach that's already, you know, already had some success, so. Mm-hmm. All right, we're gonna let Carter rap here. Yeah, I'll just. I want I just. I just really want From, what's that? I said I'll just. I'll touch on him really quick. I won't. Oh, you're good. Just you're. I want to know what you're thinking about the Bulls about ten games in. Yeah, I, I again, I think this is another team. I think we're in a better spot than our record says we are. We had a bad loss against the Spurs, bad loss against the Wizards, but other than that, we're 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 okay. Assuming Lonzo Ball somehow gets back and plays again, and is with us. Before the playoffs, I think we're in, we're in a good place because right now no one's averaging over five assists, and the only guys over four are Levine and DeRozan, which is not a great sign when they're also your top two scorers. And you know they're spreading the ball around a decent amount. Patrick Williams, after a few lackluster games to start, he's been kind of back into it. So seeing him progress over the past two or three games has been nice. And shout out to Goran Dragic and Andre Drummond because they have been a great veteran presence this year that I knew was going to come with them, but I wasn't expecting the almost double-double from Drummond and Dragic hitting threes at a – I think he's shooting 53.5% if I saw that right. So he's been dangerous from outside. Io, um, Kobe White, you know, they've been doing fine at the one and two. Javante Green went seven for seven yesterday, four or four on threes. That was fun to watch. He's really solid off the bench. I know they're starting um, Pat, Pat Williams right now over him, but if he stays sixth man, I think he's in that sixth man of the year conversation if he keeps it up. But um, yeah, the Bulls, I'm I'm feeling okay. We could we could for sure be better, and we've had some bad losses, but you know if we can get Lonzo back, I'm still hopeful for a deep playoff push. That's fair. I was, I didn't, I guess one thing I would, and just wanted to add about the Bulls is that the Drummond signing was a bit confusing to me in the beginning of the year, but I think that I never thought that Drummond would kind of accept a role as minimal as it is, as he's playing in Chicago. But if he's able to, to be good in his role, then he's a good player. In my opinion, if you're good in your role, he's a good, you're a good player. Because I always thought he just collected empty stats, but if he's contributing to winning, like you're saying, and I, I believe you because he was playing well in the preseason too, um, I just think that's kind of a, a cool development for him, and I hope that, that he's enjoying himself there because I know that the end of his time in Detroit was pretty toxic around here. So 
Yeah, he's been throwing down some dunks. Like it's been fun with him out on the court. And like you said, I was also a bit puzzled because when he was in Philly, I thought that's when he would have taken the backup role and kind of accepted it. But it didn't seem like he fully accepted it there. He was still trying to not necessarily compete with Embiid, but like he's yeah, still two trying to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think there was something there with that. So now I think that he's here. He's playing behind Vooch. He plays a very different role than Vooch does. Um, I mean, he's playing half the minutes and, you know, getting just as many rebounds. So it's good to see him out on the court again. Him and Drogic are, yeah, he's throwing lobs, you know, up to Drummond and he's catching them. So it's definitely Lob City in Chicago right now and hopefully is for the rest of the year. You can play those guys together too in certain matchups, which yeah. is crazy to say. Like, no, with, they come with, off the bench together with and... teams. No, I mean Vucevic and Drummond. Oh, for oh, I'm for saying sure. Vucevic and Drummond, which I, sure. I, I should have clarified that, but it's crazy to say that in 2022. But looking at you know when you have Gobert and Towns together, Mobley and Allen, like you can actually put Drummond and Vucevic together on the floor. Yeah, which, is, the, which is really impressive. And Vuce struggles guarding some fives, and like yeah. when Giannis is out there and they put him on him, it's game over. So Drummond's having Drummond out there. Yeah is definitely a big help on defense in the middle. All right. It's been a lot of fun, guys. Um, that'll do it for us here, Courtside Convo, um, on November 3rd. Going to mean, I mean, this is going to ring more true today, but um, based on what's going on in the NBA, but go out, be nice to people, enjoy basketball, um, and we'll be here next week for you.